we have marked actually our 21 days of fasting. So give it up first and foremost to yourselves if you made it through the 21 days uh, and uh, go on ahead. And also, I, I, I hope that God really began to reveal some things in your life during this season. I, I pray that first and foremost, as we talked about, that uh, at the end of this fast, uh, that you have gotten closer to the Lord, that you have uh, just experienced him more to a degree that maybe you weren't used to uh, before. Uh, but also, we just ask that you continue to make sure that fasting is a uh, regular part of your life throughout the year. That you don't just do it 21 days uh, here every January. That's great. It helps. And some of you say, hey, Pastor, that's 21 days, though. I mean, spread them out. It's the same thing. But you want to use this sporadically throughout your year. This is a practice. This is we focus on prayer so much. Fasting is something that a Christian should have uh, in their tool belt and it, who is using that effectively. Amen? Uh, man, I had, I've heard some rumors that there was some, some snow out there. Uh, Praise the Lord for, for all seasons. Um, I went on ahead and uh, thought that I could push through, drove out, opened up the ad, the garage, got in the car, backed up. For those of you guys that know, my car is, is small, a short, to the ground, and I backed up right away, and I was stuck. Stuck for about 10, 15 minutes, uh, and it didn't occur to me to look at the rest of the alley uh, and I said, wait a minute, there's no way that even if I got my car to turn the right direction, there's no way I'm coming out of this alley because they hadn't plowed it yet. And so I'm thinking, and I'm like, man, what do I do? What do I do? Uh, can't cancel service. Uh, people are probably already there anyhow. Uh, so right away I threw it out there. And I thank God for the elders that we have here at New Life Community Church, Mount Clair, who are always ready and willing to help out in one way or another. Um, Right away, one of our elders saw that, uh, Brother Jose, and said, hey, I'll pick you up. So he comes in his, in his uh, four-wheel drive to come pick me up. And before that, I had text the other elder, hey, John, do you think you could grab my notes and just preach for me? Because I don't think I'm going to make it there. And as I pulled up to the church, I'm seeing him in the back pews reading my notes. Uh, so praise God, because they're always ready and willing to make sure that the work of the Lord continues to go on forward. So go on ahead and just, even if you're at your house, give the Lord a round of applause for the team that, uh, that we have. Uh, but yeah, it's, out, it's rough out there. It's rough out there. So if you're watching at home, no worries. Tune in to see what the Lord has for you. So we're going on ahead, and we are actually beginning a new series today uh, that is titled Becoming. We just capped off our three-part series that we had last week, or uh, the last three weeks, uh, and it, it was one titled Uncommon Prayer. We talked about three different ways uh, that we could apply and shape our prayer life around. And today we're going on ahead and jumping into book studies. And book studies are some my favorites to preach through. They're easy to preach through, and there's so much stuff in there. So for the next uh, six weeks, actually, we're going to be diving into the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, and we will be diving in and dissecting that and really starting to shape the remainder of our year around this series. Many of us know that when we're little, uh, we start making claims of what we are going to be when we grow up, right? If I, I, I wish I had the time to go to each and every person that's here and say, hey, what did you want to be when you grew up? And to hear some of these responses, I'm sure many of them would be awesome and great. I know for me, uh, when I, I and I, we have video footage of this, I wish I had that. Actually, if I would have thought about it sooner, that would have been real sweet. Uh, but my mom recorded me when I graduated kindergarten, and she says, all right, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a cop. I changed multiple times as I continued to uh, progress in years. Uh, that changed to then wanting to be a firefighter. Uh, I then wanted to go on ahead and be a professional athlete. What kid doesn't? Uh, I then wanted to be a musician as I got involved in, in, in being a musician and playing in the worship bands and, and some Christian salsa bands. Uh, I never really dreamt about being a pastor, but, you know, the Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, but as we get older, we start to really think about what is it that we want to do, right? But at a certain time in our lives, as we start to get a little older, that question gets even deeper. 
And it gets deeper to the sense, and not only are we asking any longer, what is it that I want to do when I grow up, because we're already grown up, the question becomes now, who am I? No longer is it, who do I want to be, but who am I? You know, when you think about all those things that you thought that you would be, all those things that you thought that you would accomplish, there comes a certain point in your life where either you've accomplished them or you haven't. And you begin to ask yourself that question. Answering that question could be very difficult. It could be. Some people could even get borderline depressed when they start to really ask themselves that question because they, they can start easily saying, man, I didn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. Answering the question, who am I, is one of the most important things that we need to be able to process, that we need to be able to, to focus on. And oftentimes, we can question the reality of who we are specifically, specifically during difficult seasons. Because it's in a difficult season in which we really start to think. Have you ever noticed that? When things are, are pretty tough, they're not easy, you, your mind really starts going. Think about the people, some of the people that have trouble going to sleep because their minds are racing. Why are they racing? Because everything's good and great? Most of the time, no. They're racing because they're in a difficult season that they're trying to, to see, how do I get out of this? What do I do? All, and so on and so on. When things get really hard and, and your world gets shattered or shaken, or things are really, really tough. Maybe you've, you've received a diagnosis. Maybe you've received a notice from uh, your employer. Maybe uh, your, your spouse that says, hey, our marriage is not working out. Then questions begin to come in. The doubts begin to arise. And even bitterness sometimes begins to show up. Not only do we go on ahead and question who we are at that moment, but we can also question who God is. God, who, who are you? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let this happen to one of my loved ones? Why did you let this happen to this world? Is he even around, some of us begin to think? Does he even care about what I'm feeling? I shared with you a couple weeks ago, maybe during a prayer night, I had gotten into a season where me, even a pastor, knowing the answer to this, began to question, God, do you care about the details in my life? For many, this past year of 2020, some of you guys don't even want that coming out of the lips of anyone. That's a new cuss word in the modern Bible, 2020. Because of all the stuff that we experienced. Did I say the Bible? I meant the dictionary. This past year has made, has made us ask a lot of questions. Lots, lots of questions. I know I, I'm not the only one. Rather, it's been the challenges with all this whole social distancing stuff. The disagreements that we have seen. In, in, in a household level or in a professional level or, or even in churches on, on the disagreements of, of just really our society. Maybe the job losses or the fractured relationships that have happened throughout this whole season. Think about all the, possible, all the ways that relationships have been fractured. I've seen a lot of them when it's come to racial tension, political views, the, the churches being open, not open. So many relationships have been fractured even because of these things, let alone with the pandemic that is still sweeping our world. And so when the question, who am I, goes on ahead and comes into your mind, wouldn't it be great to have a confident answer? One answer that would be grounded in truth, an answer that would be providing hope and purpose. When the question is, where is God and what is it that he is doing in, doing in my life? What is he doing in this world? When those questions pop up, wouldn't it be great to have the confident answer for all of these questions? But thankfully, thankfully, I know a book that always has answers to those questions. The reality is, do we want to know? When you get a new device or a new electronic or a new phone, you want to know how to work that. You want to know how to process that uh, through 
all of its functions. So you go on ahead and you grab a manual and you read up on it so you can be educated on it. These days, no longer do we have manuals, but we just YouTube. Hey, how do you do this? How do you work that? The answers to these questions are really all over the Word of God. But one book in particular in the Word of God has a great answer to this question. We find it in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was a New Testament letter that was written to a group of people who were asking these same similar questions. But what is amazing about the book of Philippians is that it helps us to be able to answer this question. Interestingly enough, the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned when he wrote the book of Philippians. Philippians was actually one of the last uh, books that the Apostle Paul wrote. And whenever you read these books, uh, Philippians, Corinthians, Ephesians, these are all what we call the epistles. These were all the, pretty much letters that were written to different churches in which the Apostle Paul had planted. Someone who at one point in his life was persecuting Christians, had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. God oversaw his, 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 his shortcomings and went on ahead and blessed him with the gift of planting churches. This is like if right now, if Pastor Mark Job, senior founding pastor of the New Life Community Church, would go on ahead and write the letter of Mount Clair, the letter of Brighton Park. But the Apostle Paul, he's in a prison while he writes this. Now, for those of you who are more theologically sound about this, there's a bit of disagreement about where exactly it was that he wrote it, rather if he was in uh, house arrest or in a, in, in a prison, in a dungeon. Whatever the case is and wherever he's, he was at, that's not important. What's important here is that he was in the form of some type of imprisonment. He was confined in some way. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was no stranger to hard times. As a matter of fact, he goes on ahead and he explains this in a different letter to a different church, the church of Corinth, and this is what he goes on ahead and he writes them, showing the proof that Paul went through some real tough stuff. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, he says that he had been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, that means he was whipped, he was hit, and been exposed to death again and again, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pleaded with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. And, and, and it goes on. I'm not going to read everything else. But this is a great example of a brother who's going through it. Man, some of us think we're going through it. Come on. Some of us think our life is tough. Our life is rough. I don't know if I can dedicate the time that I, I should to God. I don't know if I should be connected the way I should be connected. Listen, this brother went through all of this. He knew what hard times was. And in the midst of this trying time, specifically the one that he finds himself in, being in a prison, he goes on ahead and writes what is considered to be the most positive, encouraging letter that he ever wrote. Hashtag no excuses. So the question is, how does a guy in circumstances, as he just described, someone who had been lost, someone who had been alone, someone who had been helpless. How does a guy like this, and in the moment being in prison, how does he write a work that has a, a reputation of being the exact opposite? This is very important to know, because when we can understand this, and when we know the answer to this question, this can totally shift our lives as we continue to live on this earth as followers of Jesus Christ. The answer to this question is found in the opening of this letter, in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This, in fact, is the key verse of the entire letter. 
You want to hear the answer? That how can someone going through all that he went through still be positively encouraged and encouraging others? It's because of this. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the answer. This is the main point of Philippians. You want to know why the Apostle Paul is encouraged? He's encouraged because of our point number one. Because he knew that God was always working. God is always working. He's always at work. He never stops. We get tired. We need to take a break from time to time. We've worked a few days. We need some days off. The season's been going. It's just been so tough. We need to, we need to, you know, we need to skip church a couple times. We work multiple days in a row. But guess what? God never stops. God never gets weary. God never gets overwhelmed. And he never gets distracted. God is always on the job. God is always working. This is why the Apostle Paul is encouraged. Because he's, he, he could say, because even when I'm tired, look at all those things that I just described to you. There's nothing wrong with them because we're human beings, and, and that happens. We get tired. We get distracted. We get overwhelmed. But the reason why we are to always be encouraged and be joyful even during these seasons is because Paul clearly shows it that our God is always actively working and present in our lives. How can Paul write such an encouraging letter from a solitary confinement-like situation. Because God never stops. Paul could have been looking, he could have been sitting there while he's penning this. He could have been looking at the prison walls. He could have been looking at the situation that he was in, being alone, and he could simply have said, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but, but I know you haven't checked out. You're not done. Listen, that's an encouragement that I want you to know. That no matter what season you're in, no matter how deep of a hole you feel like you're in, you go on ahead and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but what I do know is that you never stop working. So the fact that I am in this season currently doesn't mean that you've taken the time out. It clearly means that I'm here for a reason and you're still working, so I'm going to trust that you will work me out of this. A situation... Most would look like it was impossible. The Apostle Paul looked like it was full of possibilities. Because his confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence wasn't in others. His confidence wasn't in his current situation. His confidence was in God. That's when we get in trouble. When we place our confidence in all of those things. Isn't it? It's, it's, it man, it's so interesting. But us as Christ followers, so many times we see God work in our lives. So many times we see God take us out of situations that only he could take us out of. And we're good for a little bit, but the moment that that next storm comes, we're back in the same boat. We're back feeling overwhelmed. We're back not knowing what's going to happen. Because we place our confidence in that, in, in things that other than him. And I get it. We just got to turn our eyes back towards Jesus Christ and run back to him when we finally wake up. Because the apostles themselves, the disciples themselves, saw Jesus create miracle, do miracle after miracle, teaching all these type of things, and yet they still wondered who it was that they were serving. They still doubted. He didn't allow his circumstances to define him or to define his focus. His focus on life gave him confidence in any and every situation. That confidence being God never stops. Listen, write that down. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your fridge and your ceiling when you wake up. God never stops. Since this is true, our mindset needs to be that if God's not done, then guess what? 
that means I'm not done. If he's not finished, then that means I'm not finished. If he's still working, then I'm not going to give up. That's the truth. Don't listen or believe the lies that people whisper in your ear, that the enemy whispers in your ear, that you're done, that you don't got a shot. Don't believe those things because maybe physically speaking or through the eyes of others, you don't have a shot. But remember, the God that you serve, the God that you pray to, the God that you worship is the God that doesn't stop working. And as long as you are connected to him, then guess what? You always got a shot. What situation do you find yourself in this morning? What situation do you find yourself in during this season? What is your house arrest? What is your imprisonment? For many of us, last year and even up into this current year, it felt like a lot, it felt like a house arrest. I mean, it pretty much was almost that. But know this, church, and that is that God is not done with you. Listen, it doesn't matter how far you feel like you are. It doesn't matter what you did last night. Come on. It doesn't matter what, what, what your mind frame is even at this moment. God is not done with you. And if you just give him an opportunity, if you just go to him, if you just say, God, Go on ahead and do whatever it is that you want to do with me. And you would see that. You would see what he has. The presence of difficult times means that God is working in difficult times. They don't mean that God checked out. The reality of huge trials or or suffering doesn't mean that, that God is scrambling, that God is trying to figure things out. Because you find yourself in a hole and God hasn't answered your prayer doesn't mean that God is trying to look up the instruction manuals. How do I save him? How do I save her? Because according to the Apostle Paul, God is always at work. And we need to hold on to that truth. Hold on to that confidence. Hold on to that hope. He's always at work. But we also have to ask, what is it that he is working on? Well, we're looking at the text here today, and we're going to get a lot more further into this next week and the next few weeks. But according to this text, and if we're following uh, each verse here, God is always working on the community that we are becoming. The first part of this passage makes sure that we don't miss an important theme here. And this theme is that we are part of a community. As believers in Jesus Christ, You don't serve the Lord alone. This is not a one-man band. You can hear the love that Paul has for his church. Listen to this, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We see here that the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to his fellow brothers and sisters. And we see here that he is deeply thankful for them. They're people that he prays joyfully for. Do we pray joyfully for those that we serve in ministry with? Do we pray joyfully? Do, do, Do we thank God every time we think of New Life Mount Clare or any other church you've been a part of? Do you thank God? Thank God I thank you for my brothers and sisters that I have worshiped with you. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that I've been a part of small groups with. I thank you for the brothers and sisters, not only in my home church, but in all churches all over the world of people that I do know and people that I don't. We see that these people hold a special place in his heart. And he says, I long to be with you. As a pastor, listen, I can say that. When I think of you, I think of you 
and I thank God. When I pray, I thank God for this church. And listen, I long to be with the entire congregation once again. But the key here is that he calls them partners. He doesn't just call them, you know, hey, associates or, or anything like that, but he calls them partners. To be a partner means you're working together for one common interest. They're not just associates or acquaintances. These are not people that he's just simply aware of, but people that he is closely connected with. They have one main thing in common. And you know what that is? The reason why he's in prison to begin with, the spreading of the gospel, the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, and how our placing our faith in him is the only way to access the holy God. That's what they have in common. That's what you and I have in common. We don't have in common that we want to assemble together on Sundays and worship and, 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 and just say a speech and go home and live life for the next six days. We, we speak here. We worship here. We learn here. But the goal is that together we would pray so that when we do go on ahead and we scatter out throughout the next six days of the week, that we are continuously bringing people to knowing of the love of Jesus Christ. Their common ground is Jesus. And their mutual concern is how Jesus is seen in one another. That's one of the things we see, and we'll see throughout this letter. Paul had that real big concern. It was a big deal. Listen, as, as a pastor, it's, I, I share the same thing. I have a concern on how others see my flock, on how others see the people that I pastor. Is Jesus seen in them? How Jesus guides their treatment of one another. How Jesus is shared through all of them. And as we become more like Jesus, church, as we each individually become more like Jesus, because ultimately that is what God wants. One of God's desires is that we would have conformity with his son, meaning that we would be more and more like Jesus each and every single day. Don't believe those lies. I know sometimes they're just saying, but people say, hey, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus, I'm not holy, I'm not a saint. That doesn't give you a, a pass out of class to get your act right. Because although we'll never stand up to par of who Jesus Christ was, we have been called as his children, as Christ followers, to be like Jesus each and every single day. That means we have to take strides in this action. As we become more like Jesus, the Christian life is not lived in isolation. To follow Jesus is not a solo act. You don't just do it yourself. I get it. I know some of you have been hurt. Some of you guys have had other circumstances. Sometimes out of your own mouth or out of the mouths of others, the number one thing that is said is, hey, I can do church on my own. I can do church in my own house. I, my God hears me where I'm at, whether I'm in my house or in a building. No, that's not how we've been called to do church. That's not how we have been called to follow Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, the Apostle Paul also says to the Corinthian church, he says this, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. What we're seeing here, when we're talking about what is God working, he's constantly, he's constantly working. Well, one of the things that he's constantly working is on making us the people in which we need to be when it comes to community. We are meant to partner with one another. We're meant to grow in the gospel. We're meant to share the gospel, not by ourselves, but with each other. We're connected to one another. We're a part of the spiritual family. If you're not connected to the body, then you're an arm. What good is an arm without anything else? It's lifeless. Not only is God always working on the community that we are becoming, but also who we are becoming ourselves. When we're talking about God always working. 
God is always working on who we ourselves are becoming. He goes on ahead, it says this in verse 9, the Apostle Paul. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul, Paul says, and this is my prayer. What he's saying is, this is what I'm asking God for when I'm thinking about you. This is what I'm calling out to God for on your behalf. When I think of the fact that he is always working, what he prays for, what the Apostle Paul prays for is what God is working on and that he is working on who it is that we are. Throughout the New Testament in the Bible, we see it mentioned that people who follow Jesus are to be like him. This is it. This is what Paul's praying. This is what we need to be praying for each other, for the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would go on ahead and make my brother or my sister more and more like you every single day. That you would allow them to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. So God, when you come or when they're face to face with you, they would be able to be blameless in front of you. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says, those who say they live in God should live their life as Jesus did. So there you go. For that saying that you heard, hey, I'm not Jesus, that's Paul. You need to be like Jesus. I get it, you ain't perfect. I get it that you make mistakes, but that's not a cop-out for trying to be like Jesus. Our goal should be to emulate him as most as possible. When we wake up, what can I do today that is going to make me more like Jesus? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. You see that? The first verse in 1 John 2 says, for those who say they live in God, should live their lives as Jesus did. And in Romans, he goes on ahead and says that God wants us, he's chosen us. When he designed us in our mother's womb, the whole goal is that we would live like Jesus lived. In Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Listen, it doesn't get any clearer than this. To say that we are Christians, meaning that we are Christ followers. That means you're following Jesus Christ in the way he lived. So, quite frankly, if I do the math correctly, If we are not trying to follow Jesus, if we are not trying to be like Jesus each and every single day, then we need to stop calling ourselves Christians. The Apostle Paul is clearly telling us, as Christ followers, we need to be like him. And there's a reason why the Apostle Paul is praying for this, because he understands it's not easy. He understands it's not an easy task. I understand that it's not an easy task. You don't just accept Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Savior, and all of a sudden, you're just like Jesus. When we do that, what happens is we put our faith in Jesus. We become a new person. And when we give our life to Christ, we're starting to, to, to look like him. It's like we've gone into the, the, the plastic surgery surgeon's office and says, hey, I need a remake. A new identity begins. The Bible at times calls this being born again. We're like babies in the faith. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to come before God and decide that you're done being your own God. To decide, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to be my God. That's a beautiful thing. When that first happens, you're a baby in the faith. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Because you have been reborn 
into your new identity, the identity in which God had in mind when he wove you together in your mother's womb. And being a baby in faith is good, but that's not where we're supposed to remain. We are meant to grow up. We're meant to mature. And that takes a lifetime. That takes a lifetime. For some of us parents who are kids already older, and they're like, hey, man, you need to get a job. You need to get your act right. You need to, you need to make some plans. You need to get married. You need to get out of my house. Well, there, there, there's a process, right? You don't say that to your baby born. If, if it is, we need to sit down and talk. But, I mean, at a certain point, you, the, the baby has grown, and it has matured. And, and, and Well, hopefully matured, but you're, you're, you're ready to see them go on to the next stage of life. That's supposed to be what happens. But the tragedy for many, physically, socially, and even spiritually, is that they grow old without ever growing up. Because here's the truth. Age and maturity are not the same thing. There's some people out there that are pretty up there in age, and boy, you wonder what happened with their maturity. There's some people who have come and served and been a part of churches all their lives, and yet there's no trace of spiritual maturity. Because just because you're present doesn't mean that you are mature. Just because you're older and you've read the Bible 20 times doesn't mean you're mature. Paul is praying that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He prays that they would be empowered with love that thinks. For many of us, we always think about love as, as feelings, as emotions, but the Apostle Paul here is saying, I need you to love, but I need you to love with your brain as well. The Christian Love, to be genuine, to be true for God, to be true for, for others, it must be rooted in a deep desire to understand the ways of the Lord, to understand the scriptures and what holiness is. The Apostle Paul is praying that his people, that the church would go on ahead and begin to grasp and understand who God is, understand what his, what his scriptures say how holy he is, because when we understand that, we begin to mature. Listen, you're not going to mature if you're not spending time in a relationship with Jesus. You're not going to mature if you're not learning, if you're not reading the word of God. You're not going to mature if you're not speaking to God. Without any of that, it's just like you... You made a decision, you decided to start dating someone, and you never decided to just call them or spend any time with them. It just doesn't work. He prays that they'd be passionate about living intentionally. He uses the word discern what is best. His goal, he, he's praying, God, man, I, I pray that they would discern what is best. Discern what is best. To discern is to critically examine and put to test. His prayer is that, man, I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would not just make any decision to make a decision. My prayer is, God, that they would really begin to, to critically examine and to test what their actions are going to be. He wants us to be able to examine in all situations what is the best course, what that best course of action is. He says that he wants us to be pure and blameless and overflowing with righteousness. These are the things that God is constantly working in us, but we also have to put our effort to, be, to perfect them. He says to be intentionally pure. That means that, that, that as we're trying to know God, as we're trying to live as his sons and his daughters, we're intentionally trying to be pure with our motives. That means we have no other hidden motives. That means we have no other desires. And to be intentionally blameless means that, that we're trying to live life without any faults, with no offense, with no blemish. And then when he says righteousness, 
That means for us to have the character of God and how that character should burst out of us. He's not praying about the situations that they are in, but who they are while they are in these situations. And I think that is so important. So, so valuable. This is the key right here, church. Because here's the reality. We're always going to be in situations. You think that year 2021 comes and now everything is completely perfect? Did you forget that even before the pandemic, you still had issues? There was still violence. There was still crime. There was still sin because sin, as long as sin is here until the day that our Lord Jesus Christ arrives and put an end to it forever, we're always going to have issues. Like I've said before, either you're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you are going into a storm. And because the Apostle Paul understands this, his prayers are not for our situations. We got to stop praying for our situations. What we need to start doing is praying that God would develop us and develop our character while we are in these situations. Because the way you handle yourselves through a situation will dictate everything. He wants them to be the children of God that they are in all situations. He wants them to be like Jesus in all of our situations. Let us pray for that. Just as the Apostle Paul was praying for, his, for the church, let's pray for that for each other. God, may I not be so desperate to get out of the current situation that I'm in right now. But God, that you would build my character while I'm in it. That you would help me be better. That you would help me not be anxious for nothing. That you would, that you would help me to not be so easily overwhelmed. And you start praying these prayers to God, and you start learning, God, what are you teaching me in the middle of this storm? And as you learn those lessons, whenever you're in a new storm, I ain't going to lie, it might scare you. The windows might begin to, to, to go on ahead and shake. You might feel the house rumble with the thunder. But at the end of the day, you yourself won't be physically shaken. Because you know that your God is always working. You know your God is never going to stop. God is always working, church. He's always working on the people and the community that we are becoming. As the series title states. We need to, to look at things different. We go back to the key verse of the entire book of Philippians. Philippians 1.16. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, do yourself a favor. Memorize this verse. Memorize this verse. Write it down. Put it somewhere in your house. Put it in your dashboard of your car that you will be constantly reminded of this. If you, have a, if you have a phone like this, I remember, I, I should be able to do it. You know, you can make a, 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 a screen image, like your background. Let it be this verse that every time you turn on your phone, that you see this. I am confident of, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Listen, our God is a good God, a great God, a perfect God. Don't get, don't get it twisted. God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts. Some of us that look at the world and say, man, God, you created this world. You, you created all this. And look at this is chaos. Well, listen, you read the word of God, you see he's coming back to finish what he began. And he wants to do it in you. He wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it for your legacy, for the legacy that you're going to leave to your children, for the future generations. Listen, maybe the generations leading up to you didn't look, they don't look good. The statistics show that, man, you're in bad state or, or your children will be in a bad state as well. But listen, the moment you decided to give your life to Jesus Christ, you became a new creation. God began to do a new work in you. And maybe you've struggled recently. Maybe you've hit a 
couple few hiccups in the road. Get up. Keep going. Your God doesn't stop working, so neither should you. Be confident that what God began in you, he will continue. He will continue. And so I challenge you to make a plan to grow. Make a plan to grow. Listen, I get life is not what it was. I get church is not what it was. I get community is not what it was. And we could put a whole list of things that we could be doing better. But the reality is this. At the end of the day, we are as close to God as we want to be. The Bible says, draw near to to me and I will draw near to you. So my challenge to you is don't look at the exterior, look at the interior and begin to grow yourself in the Lord. And as you do that, you'll see how everything else comes together. I challenge you. We've been talking about, we were hyping up so much our New Life app, the New Life Chicago app. Download it. If you don't have it on your phone, download it. And if, you don't, if it's not on your phone, you can even go on, the, on our website. The reason why I'm pointing you towards that is because, yeah, the church is not what it was before. We're not meeting the way we were normally. But on that app, we have what we call our growth step books. Before, we, you, had, you used to have to use a book, but now we've got it on our app. We have all of those books downloaded on there, and you can see how you can begin your, your life with Christ and what baptism looks like. You can see uh, how you can grow, how you can be connected. All of these books are downloaded in a, um, in, in, in a format in which you can begin to read yourself. I challenge you, grow with that. And another way that I want you to plan to grow is something that's in the works, Towards the end of February, we're going to be rolling out, and we'll be talking about this a lot more as the weeks come forward, but we're going to challenge you to join a life group. We call them small groups before, but now we're kind of changing the name. During this specific season, we see the need for community. And so because of that, we're going to be starting up different life groups that are going to be for different stages of your life. And I'm going to challenge you that, when we do present that, that you would not just look at that as another thing to be connected with. That you would not even put in your mind, oh, that's another thing that I'm going to be zoomed out. Listen, man, how bad do you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? We can connect with a lot of things outside of these four walls. Make sure that this, that you investing in your spiritual life is a priority. And ask that you rise. I'm excited for this series. You can close your eyes and get ready to pray. I'm excited for the series to see all that God is going to bring out of us. This is just the beginning of it. The first thing that Paul says is God is always working. So be encouraged with that. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for your encouraging word. Father, we thank you even for the rebuke. Lord Jesus Christ, We hear the prayers of the Apostle Paul written thousands of years ago. And it's the same prayer that we pray today. Lord, you desire, you desire a perfect church. You desire sons and daughters that look that act like Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would continue, continue the work that you have begun in each and every single one of us. That you would help us, allow you 
to continue. Lord, that we would desire to shape our life around you. Lord, that we would desire, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, to be one with our fellow brothers and sisters. We would desire to go on ahead and, and, and make it a common goal, not just to have received the gospel, not just to have received salvation, to, but to be able to grab as many people and to let them know of the saving grace that you provide. So, Father, God, I pray that you would be with us. You would help us in those moments in which we're standing and we're sitting, we're laying down and we're questioning who are we. Lord, that we would be reminded that you are a God that is present. That you are a God that desires to dwell among his people. That you are also a God who desires and expects to be shown the reverence that you deserve. Pray for your church, Lord, that you would be with us in all that we do. Father, Lord, in all of these ways that we have come short, and we know we come short, your word says it, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, we go before you. Lord, we repent. We repent of our shortcomings. We repent of the things that we do time in and time again that displeases you. Father, may we be a church that is constantly on their knees before your throne of grace. Thank you, Father, for your word says that your grace and your mercy, they are renewed each and every single day. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we go out, as we leave this church building, as we unplug from streaming online as we get ready to go on with the, the rest of our day and the rest of our week. As always, we pray, Lord, that we would hang on to the challenge, to the call that you gave us, and that was to be the salt of the world. The salt of the earth, the, the light of the world, God. You didn't call us to blend in. You called us to stand out. And we do so, or may we do so, Father God, with love. That the way we love, Father God, would be the main thing that gains others' interest in you. Church, as we get dismissed, I pray that the Lord will guide us all to our homes safely and those who are at home, that you guys will continue to be safe. And I leave you with this blessing, this blessing that we find in the Old Testament. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' holy, mighty name. The church of God says, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Church, we love you. Be safe. We'll see you next week.